Hey, it's your girl, Chanae Ogwamake. And I am Lisa Leslie, and this is Front and Center. This is a show that's gonna come out every week. We are gonna cover hot topics, news, pop culture, beauty, dating, relationships, and we're not gonna shy away from the serious topics too, whether it's racial injustice, politics, and fellas, we even have you covered too. You get a topic, you get a topic, <laughs> we're gonna cover it all. You know, one thing I love about this is that I get to hang with my friend, my big sis, my mentor. Lisa, you have done so much helping guide me and provide balance for me both on and off the court. And now I'm really excited that people will get to see our dynamic because I always tell people, I feel like we are the same person 20 years apart. I'm not Yoda, but I will try to enlighten Chanae in some areas as she enlightens me. We hope to entertain you, inspire you. Our relationship has been so valuable and we feel like the importance of having a mentor and a mentee is amazing and we want to share that all with you guys. We do it with our own little flavor, right? We do it with our own little seasoning, right, Lise? Well, you know I'm seasoning and you are what? Flavor. So we will be what? Front, Front and center. center. <laughs> Please, we finally made it after years. <laughs> well, we haven't quite made it yet, but we're starting. Which is so good about this is that this gives us an opportunity to really uh, share our knowledge, let people hear our voices, and we can talk about the stuff that we talk about on the phone. So listen, this summer has been super crazy uh, with COVID-19. Jeez, uh, that's been something just in itself. We've had a racial injustice that has been at an alarming rate. And then the whole presidential election, like that whole debate has been, it's been a lot. It, it feels like it, it really does, Lise. It has been a lot. And I think the blessing in disguise is that we have time to just recover, recalibrate, recharge, but also center ourselves to what really matters. And I think it's a lot individually, right? Like we're all doing this whole introspection but now, like, especially as Black women, we are literally women who give birth to the next generation. Uh, we're natural protectors. But I think one thing I've realized is that as Black women, we don't see too often that people keep that same energy with us, right? Like, yeah. we, we want Black women to be put front and center because Black women have really been, I mean, that's who we are. Absolutely. And, and you know, we're, we're both athletes. And we're used to giving all to everything that we do. And I think Black women have been keeping that same energy. So I, I really see this as a good opportunity to start by celebrating us and also the, the stuff that, that affects us in a real way. Okay, so before we get moving, though, I got to ask about your week. How is it, since you are the first Black female host of ESPN National Radio Show, which also got moved to television, like, what is your world like now, Janae? It's really good, and I appreciate you for coming on and surprising me. Yeah. <laughs> you caught me really off guard. I tell people I never cry, and I was out here crying boohooing because my big sis, my mentor, came and literally made my day. But it's it's been it's been really it's been tough because the responsibility you you feel it. I get to dive into a lot of things that I normally haven't done, and get to talk about a lot of things that um, just really matter, especially as voices of, of this next generation. So yeah, I've been grinding. I, I've been slacking though. Like my mom has called me a couple of times saying, Chanae, you know, my mom makes me check in every morning. Like when we're not in the same state, she's like, okay, call every morning, call every evening. So don't be surprised if this thing goes off because my mom is going to be looking for me. I've been slacking. 
Uh, I'm not mad at mom, but you better take a second to call your mama. I always do. I just wake up in the morning and like my first thing is get ready for work, get ready for work. And then my mom calls and is like, you have not talked to me yet. I just need to hear you talking, hear your voice. I'm like, I hear you, mom. So I'm trying to be better at that. How's your week looking? Um, this has been, you know, the challenging part for me, mom and it, as I say, in this pandemic has really been, um, it's, 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 it's rough. You know what I mean? Like not rough in the sense, I mean, people have it worse, so I can't make it like it's oh so bad, but I don't know that I signed up to like cook as much as I'm cooking to be online and, and, and watching over my kids and getting their schedule. Like I had to go buy a planner just to keep up with like their schedule, their work, you know, what needs to be turned in, how many assignments are they turning in? So, you know, uh, if I didn't tell you, I decided to homeschool my kids, like real homeschool. What, what does that mean? Like what is, what's the real, real homeschool? Well, home, there's virtual, most kids are virtually homeschooling, which means that they're connected to their school, their classmates, they're um, sitting at the computer three and four hours a day because they have classes, whether you're middle school, they're changing classes, you know what I mean? Zooming with a different teacher uh, every hour or other kids are, you know, elementary age students like my son who basically they have to sit there and, and Zoom with your teacher all day. I mean, and it's a lot for kids to be in this digital platform trying to figure it out. They don't know how to type. I mean, I think people didn't really oh, process didn't the fact that, that like kids don't they know how to type. They haven't done computer class yet. Right. So uh, I just pulled mine out completely. Like I can't, I'm not trusting the system of you telling me when it's safe to send my kids back to school. This is like, it's all about money, man. And I got to protect my own. So what I've decided was to homeschool, which means you you kind of customize schooling for your kids the way you want it. And so my kids do two classes a day, you know, so they may do math and English Mondays and Wednesdays. They may do science and history Tuesdays and Thursdays. They have so much more time, Janae, on their hands. They can study. It's great. So I love that part of it. But I got to remember my son is elementary school age. And by being in elementary school, you know, you need a little bit more help. Like I got to like, bro, if I see another lowercase I, we're going to have it out. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. But but Lauren, what, what grade is she in? She's eighth grade. So she's good. Oh my God. Yeah, she's good. She's straight A. She's not, she's good because she's already, she was doing homeschool a little bit partially online already. And she took a typing class in sixth grade. And I saw her, she has a mean backhand, forehand, what? whatever the hand is when it comes to tennis. Cause you know, I, I've been out here following the U.S. Open and talk about Black Girl Magic, Naomi Osaka, of course, Serena, who went, uh, I think she's the first to ever have 100 wins at Arthur Ashe. Did you go to last the last Open? Yeah, you know I go to all of them. I went to U.S. Open, the Australian Open, the French Open, Wimbledon. Uh, my husband and I love, we're avid tennis fans, so uh, you know I'm watching. In fact, in the background right now is Billie Jean King talking because uh, Osaka's playing. <laughs> <laughs> I love tennis so much, and I'm so happy that Osaka has really embraced, you know, the fact that she is a black woman and that she has a platform. And I really think that this is where all of us athletes have to recognize wherever we have a platform, we have to use it. We have to speak up because at the end of the day, like I wrote about in my article, you know, Dear America, it's like when we leave these jobs, when she leaves that court, she's still a black woman. And that's something that we have to learn to praise, respect, and use our platforms to bring awareness to injustice to women.
And I love it because, especially when it comes to Naomi Osaka, it's also diverse. Like she represents Japan when she competes, but she also understands, you know, being a black woman and competing and being here in the U.S. And she still gets it. But like also with Serena, like my heart melted at that video of Olympia and her husband, like waving. I was like, oh, my ovaries. Like, oh, oh, I want yeah. a kid, baby, people. Girl, don't do it. It's only it's <laughs> only fun and games from the outside. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's so precious what to be a player to honestly be a player and have a child and then be able to go back and play no matter how long you can it's such a special feeling because we realize i think in those moments when you become a mom when you're like managing and nursing and trying to go to practice and you you realize the strength that you have you know over the course of the last few months lisa it's been really interesting because with all the unrest and we say social unrest, it's been interesting to see on social media how we see all these positive affirmations about people and, and uplifting people. But when it came to black women, you always saw the same quote and it was the Malcolm X quote where it is the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. And, and it's not even like, how do we fix this? It's more like, can you even be aware of this? Because this is something that has been persistent. And I, I thought it was a good reminder of where we fall and how we don't want that to stay the same. Um, and, and that's the difficult part. Like it's a call to action, but also what is the action? What can we actually do to fix that? Well, Janae, you're, you're right. I mean, when you look at this, this is a really broad topic, but we want to focus on today talking about WAP. If you don't know what that is, you got to look it up. But, you know, the hot summer single by Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B, uh, the murder of Breonna Taylor and how it's taken us to say, say her name over and over. And I think in a great way how social media has been used very positively with that. And then also with Kamala Harris, the nomination as the first black vice president nominee of a majority political party, but she has, I mean, people are just downright disrespectful. And yes. I feel like this is our opportunity to figure out, really put shine a little bit brighter light on how black women have been disrespected, but also figuring out ways to, how can we first off learn to support each other, learn to support our own community and call people out when they are being disrespectful in a way where we pull them on the carpet and say, hey, you know what? We can't be supportive of you if you can't be supportive of her. And even Kiki Palmer comes to my head about that. But we can, like the list is like a laundry list uh, of stories that we can come up with. We don't have enough time, but we will cover it and get into the details. We're going to dig in. We're digging deep today. Yeah, you're right, Lise, because, you know, you talk about support and you talk about calling it out. And, and support is something that that's why I'm really grateful for you. You've always supported me. I've tried my best to support you in any way that I can, even, you know, especially with your daughter, knowing how important it is to keep passing that on generation to generation. But also keeping it real with all this, we see so many different forms of celebrating Black women on one hand, but then also disrespecting Black women. And that needs to be separated. Sometimes it's us doing it to each other too. So let's just like really keep it real. We got to really fix that. And we got to start at home with ourselves first. You're right. We got to keep it 100, as we say. So I'm super excited for us to get all the way into this. But first, we got to take a quick break. So make sure you guys stay with us. 
We're back, and I'm so excited to dive into something that really speaks to our identity. Both you and I, Lisa, are strong, fierce, fearless Black women, and that is something that we should always keep front and center. I just remember, it's like, take me back. It doesn't feel that long ago, but on August 7th, we were all shook. Do you know, like, shook if We were so <laughs> shook because I remember I was laying down, and I started seeing these promo clips you know, from an amazing music video. And this is like literally in the middle of social media where we're in a summer, a summer where we're stuck inside. We have pandemic, we have racial unrest. But then now we have this huge moment by two artists, Cardi B, obviously, and Meg The Stallion. And this is a single, Cardi B single from her second album and the single's WAP. Now I- I'm gonna let y'all go ahead and Google and, and figure <laughs> out what WAP actually stands for because my mama would come and hit me with a set back of my head if I actually start talking about what it is. But WAP, the single, it, it debuted at number one on the Hot 100 Billboard charts. Cardi B, this is her fourth you know, top song, extending her record as the female rapper with the most number one singles, also making her the first female rapper to get Hot 100 number one singles in two different decades, 2010s and 20s. And then the cool thing is the song, obviously with WAP being the name and We saw the video. A lot of people were talking about it, even like not just people on the streets of social media, but also in the streets of society. And and Neil Shaw of the Wall Street Journal uh, deemed it. And I saw this and it was interesting by, quote, a big moment for female rappers, a historic sign that women artists are making their mark on hip hop like never before. You hear that? You're like, oh, wow, this is like significant. And then you see the video like, whoa, what was your reaction, least to the video, the WAP video? So here's the deal for me. Um, I finally realized I've probably crossed over to the group where you clutch your pearls. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> it was a lot. I mean, and I'm getting hot right now just thinking about it because I don't know. In some ways, I'm like, do we have to just like we don't keep anything to the imagination? You know, like Prince had little red Corvette and and, you know, we did inside out ring my bell. Like it was just stuff that was like it was implied. But then I had to really think about, look, we listened to Lil' Kim and Trina back in the day, and we were so unbothered by that. And I feel like your generation is really more unbothered by what the actual words are. And so when you go deeper than that about the sexuality, and I think it makes them feel empowered. That's them being empowered with their bodies, with their words, with the fact that it captures people's attention, both men and women alike. They're great to look at. And the the part that scares me probably the most is the fact that young girls have access to that. Like, I'm afraid that my daughter's going to see and hear that song. Or, you know, as a 13-year-old, she's going to see that song on a TikTok and then, you know, start Googling and looking up, like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> that is scary, Lise. That is scary. I can imagine. I, I don't know, Chanae. I think for me, it's just on one hand, it's like, wow, it's so empowering for, for them. And I'm sure they feel like men express themselves all the time. Black men, anyway, in rap, express themselves like that all the time. Plus, you got to understand it's rap. Rap is a different genre than it's not going to be your country and your rock and roll. It's rap. Rap is is about the lives that they lived or what they've seen. And so I think the fact that sometimes Black women are so sexualized, that's the way we 
that got the attention. And when you look at how many records sold or however you say, however many songs sold or how, what is it called? Where they like, they were on yeah. the billboards, right? They're at the top because people are listening and that sells. But I also wonder in the quiet space, how does that make them feel like, you know, what is your level of responsibility or is it not? Is it just a paycheck? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think for for these two artists, considering these are artists of my generation, I think there's been like this moment for like female liberation in the sense of like taking power over their sexuality. It's no longer the men that can dictate how sexuality goes. Women can be in control too. Mm. That's one thing that Cardi B has always been A1 since day one about. She's not hidden herself, her past. And she's been 100% authentic to who she is, right? Yeah. Meg the Stallion, this is my girl from Houston, from H-Town. And like Stallion is hilarious because there are many different, talk about WAP, like there are many different connotations to it. But what I've known being a 6'3 female is that it's like for a female that is taller. And so, um, and, and Cardi is Dominican and Meg is black, but being two female artists that come together, the industry often hits them as competition. Mm-hmm. When it comes to Nicki Minaj, it's like Nicki's the best female rapper. We all know Lil' Kim, Trina, all the ones that have come before. But I feel like Nicki takes so much pressure on being the game changer and the trailblazer for everyone else. I sort of am like, we don't have to be competitive anymore. Why can't women, you know, collaborate and appreciate each other? And so to see a song where two women, where the industry is pitting them against each other, do something together, that's super powerful. And also... They're doing it on their own terms. Now, uh, I agree, like, my twerk, like, is uh, is not anything to the level of their twerk. Like, their bodies, my body, not anything to the level of their bodies. But I do think, like, if it's a 13-year-old me watching that, I'd be like, whoa, that's a lot moving and shaking. Right, and right. like, But I do think that, like, the young, the young kids now are a little older, you know, and, and they know that- They're more exposed. Yes, way more exposed. And I think it doesn't mean that like you watch that and that's going to be like, oh, that's who I'm going to be. It's more like, oh, she's confident in her own skin. Mm. And I guess the extremes to which we go to tell that and celebrate that are to be debated. But I like the video. Like they tried, like Kylie Jenner. Kylie Jenner was in it. I was like, ah. But the point is that like all different types of women can be bad and can be badass women. That's the overall message that I get. I feel like there's so much pressure on women in general, because you know the phrase, you got to work twice as hard to get half as far. And then Black women, especially women of color, we see this and compare this in the music industry with like a fine tooth comb. Like when it comes to female rappers, there's just so much judgment and standard. And it's not just from the outside, it's also from the inside. Least like, do you think that we're moving in a better direction where that criticism is sort of going away through these collaborations? Or do you think it's just how women just literally have to keep defying expectations at every step? You know, they have to be more competitive uh, in this male-dominated industry. Well, I think the pushback comes from the community because we're not all alike, right? We're not all into the exact same things. And so this is what happened also. Remember that there was a time where Oprah didn't like the rappers and then she had to sit down with like 50 Cent back in the day because you're talking about, you know, sexualizing women and calling them bitches and whores. And and that was a thing that it was too shocking and it was too much. But then we as a society, do we become desensitized to hearing that? 
so much that when women do receive, especially black women, get called all those negative things, it's like, oh, that's just how you guys talk to each other. So that's something that's important to hold on to. But I think also the pushback is that to see women empower themselves through their sexuality makes people uncomfortable. And I think that if you have more conservative people, they're really like, oh my God, this is setting us back like a hundred years. But in some ways it also pushes us forward because we keep liberating ourselves in ways that really allow us to not be controlled. And so I do see the positive in some of that um, as well. I think it's a shift, right? Because the more women, the more Black women become more in control of their narrative, the more empowered you feel that you are invincible, that we have to work hard. We know we show up and you have to know that, you know, your job and the next person's job, that's important. But we also, hey, we have swag. I mean, we have, we may show up with different hair and we should be okay to do that because that's a part of who we are, but as long as we're getting the job done. So I think that the pushback is something that it's going to happen no matter what. And then social media and black Twitter, that's a whole nother, <laughs> you know, that's a whole nother uh, conversation that it is so tough when people come forward and have something to say. And I do recall when CeeLo Green, he, he came out really criticizing WAP, talking about you know, how disappointed it was personally and on a moral level. He like went in on them tough. And it's like, really? So here's the one opportunity you decide to take the platform when you actually caught a case or so, right? He had some alleged abuse or something going on uh, in his background that was a little bit uh, suspect, if we, you know, to say the least. It's just interesting how people come for these women at a time when they are at the top why can't you just reach out to them privately and just, you know, communicate or say, hey, let's let's collaborate. Let's do something even better than what, you know what I'm saying? But don't just come out publicly like, I don't know. I just feel like it's it's still shaming black women when they have this opportunity. This is their platform is rap. That's what they do. What do you expect? I don't see men coming up talking about, man, I didn't like when you was talking about shooting and going up and down the street. Why is that OK? No, I don't see other rappers, male rappers coming for other male rappers just because they're talking about violence, abusing women. So let's figure out what we want to stand for here and uh, let these ladies live. But um, but also like the, the reality behind the whole situation. So there's the highs of the highs when it comes to Savage and also WAP, the music that's really empowering, but also pushing the line a little bit when it comes to what we we see black women being. But on the other side, there, you know, behind the scenes, there was a huge controversy between Meg and Tory Lanez. So there was a situation where she was in a car, friends were just getting driven home, and Tory Lanez, a black man, a person that was her friend and someone that was a part of her inner circle, after having a dispute, Tory Lanez shoots her in the foot. And I remember seeing the videos all over social media, like, what is happening? The car stopped. The police are there. Meg is barefoot in the street, don't know where Tori is. And what happened was they were at a pool party with Kylie Jenner. Tori Lanez was there. And then they left the pool party. They had an altercation in the car. Meg exits the car. Clearly, there's a weapon in the car with Tori. And Tori, Meg states, is the one that shot her in the foot. And so on the highs of highs, Meg is here preaching empowerment. And also she's like what people know to be super chill. But then literally her friend who happens to be a black man 
recklessly uses a weapon and really hurts her and, and people start ridiculing her on the internet. Everyone's making fun of her getting shot in the foot. People are like begging for her to show it, to, to say it's real. Tory and his team are denying all these allegations. And then the worst part is that because of the climate we're in, Meg didn't feel comfortable speaking her truth in that moment where she could get her own form of justice. Instead, she sort of bites her tongue and then everything starts playing out. And then we're in the court of public opinion. And it's really tough seeing a black woman be put in a position where she doesn't want to be considered in the industry as a snitch. But on the other hand, she's been violated and unprotected by someone that was her kinfolk, her skinfolk and her friend. What's your take on that whole situation? Well, I think it's, it's so unfair and cruel because one, it's not like you just heard about it. You know, I think the storyline could be different. I, you know, you heard about it, like, what? That can't be real. Maybe jokes would come from that. But the fact that we could see it happening, like she was clearly bleeding, walking, scared, or the police are there. You don't know if you're going to get shot that night because that's a whole nother real reality. A male in the car with a weapon. She's processing in the moment of being shot, still trying to protect the person who shot her. Like, that, if that's not the epitome of a friend, of a Black woman protecting someone, I don't know what is. And I don't know who the ignorant people are who are out there who found that to be funny. Well, we do know one of them because it was 50 Cent who later apologized. But the, I, I feel like the Black woman in trauma is like people just feel like we are so strong that we can handle anything. And it's really incredibly dangerous because... Statistics show that we are more likely to be involved in an intimate partnership violence or domestic violence, not necessarily the most in domestic violence, but domestic violence also, or most likely to be raped. Now, when you think about those stats alone for for Black women, that means that, one, we put the onus a lot on Black moms who are doing the best they can, and they did it a lot alone. Whereas that onus has to go back on the black male of protecting your family and protecting your daughters. And for us to continue to teach our sons to learn to protect their sisters and the women in their lives. You're absolutely right, Lisa. It's one thing to do it with your mother who you love so dearly, but it's like, how do we pass that along to our partners and to the next generation, your your daughters? Because we've seen this in sports. There's a double standard where oh, I support the NBA and I love the NBA, but we're quick to question the WNBA. And and that's a league full of your sisters, literally. We've seen that in real time. And and so often it's sad because we feel like as Black women, you know, we feel this in the workplace because usually we're we're the ones by ourselves. We're the first, we're the only, we're the different, we're the ones that are, we're just now the, the first ones reaping the benefits of opportunity now. But we have to come to our own defense and, and that is exhausting. We talk about generational ta- trauma, like, affects everyone. But for Black women, it just hits different because you hold down the household, but you also have to hold down yourself. And so I I was heartbroken because Meg, you know, she tweeted that, you know, in her own, she's trying to like come to her own defense when people were questioning why she didn't call it out in real time. And did this really happen? Meanwhile, she's the one who's went to the hospital and was like dealing with a real gunshot wound and also the, the trauma, the wounds that he affected her, Tory Lanez and all that stuff. She tweeted, Black women are so unprotected and we hold so many things in to protect the feelings of others without considering our own. It might be funny to you on the internet and just another messy topic for you to talk about, but this is my real life and I'm real life hurt and real life traumatized. And it's sad because, you know, there's so many things going on in the world where they're just like ideas and thoughts 
for so long. Like, oh, you know, racism doesn't exist. We're in 2020 or mental health. Like, is that real? Like, these are real life things that have been affecting us for so much time. And I feel like it's time for us to actually tell people like these things should be on the forefront of all of our minds. We should care about them equally. We should care about the people that we're affecting. Like, that's what this whole pandemic has been. It's been a time for us to reflect and also care about how we are treating one another. And Black women for so long have had the shortest end of the stick and, and have had to come to their own defense. We've had to be our own saviors, but now I'm lucky to have you and be surrounded by sisters and a family that really understands that, you know, doing it together is the only way that we can do it because we've been, like for so long, people have been doing it the wrong way, doing it by themselves and it's just not fair. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't happen. Janae, we have covered a lot and we are not done. We are just getting started because we have to bring up Brianna Taylor. It's amazing that a person could be in their own home, be murdered, and we have no answers after all of this time. So we're gonna get into it. We're gonna honor Brianna Taylor. We're gonna talk about saying her name when we come back. You know, we both come from a background of sports, right? But we also are Black women in America, and so much is going on. We have pandemics, plural. (laughs) And one of the biggest stories that has happened over the last few months is one surrounding a young woman by the name of Breonna Taylor. And just finding out what happened to her has been, I think, a lot of people have opened their eyes in this time to the experiences of her, and it hits different. For us, we sort of dealt with a lot of the realities, Lisa, of what it is to be Black in America. But I think now through her lens, through her experience, so many people are experiencing it too for the first time. Yeah. I I mean, when you look back at the story of Breonna Taylor and the fact that the police had, it seems like when they arrive on the scene and you know that this is a female's home, but why does this have to happen at midnight? Why is it such in a way that of course they're gonna feel like when they hear the door that it's alarming. I don't know that I would go rushing to the door and I don't know that I would not go without a weapon to the door thinking that it could be anybody. So I think the whole scene is just so wrong, uh, first off, but they they go to the door and um, Brianna Taylor is there with her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, okay? Who the police, were not looking for. In fact, they were looking for Jamarcus Glover, who was her ex-boyfriend. So first off, they already had the two black males mixed up. Secondly, Jamarcus Glover was already in the police custody. So you're already at the wrong place, looking for the wrong guy, and you know that it's Breonna Taylor's place. So they knocked several times, and Kenneth Walker heard the knocks and yelled several times, who is it? I think about the third or fourth knock, they got dressed, they scrambled to get dressed to head to the door. And as they got to the hallway, the door was knocked down. Kenneth Walker in defense, not knowing that it's the police, of course, fires one shot. They then unload shots into Breonna Taylor's home. That one shot that Kenneth Walker let off hits an officer somewhere in the thigh And so he sort of said on the call for a backup and letting them know that he was hit. 
And then there's one police officer who leaves that scene and goes sort of around the back and lets off 13 other shots, right? Here we are with all these shots fired. And obviously, Breonna Taylor, we know, was murdered in that moment. And the police feeling like they're justified because Kenneth Walker shot first, they are then by law allowed to fire, right? And that's what they did. And so, you know, you look at this whole scene and it's like, it never had to go down, in my opinion, in this way. And it's just so sad that we are in a situation where Breonna Taylor's life is gone and there's no justification for why her life was lost, Janae. Yeah. And there's so many things that like this situation just sort of, it's problematic because obviously they've been following the activities Mm -hmm. of Breonna Taylor's, you know, ex Mm -hmm. for a while. And they had information, but the information is just not adding up to what equates what happens, right? Like it feels like it's the wrong person you're seeking and coming to the door. And now we're hearing, you know, stories of they knocked, but there are a lot of people out there saying that they didn't announce themselves, you know? So like, there's so many different conflicting sides to this, Mm -hmm. which makes it all the more unfortunate. And, you know, I personally grew up in Texas. And so having someone legally have the right to bear arms, I grew up knowing, I was educated to that fact. Like this, there's a potential that you could go down the street and be playing in the park. You could see someone who rightfully carries, you know, their arms, firearms. And I also grew up with the idea that, hey, like if you trespass on someone's property, they have a right to defend that property and to defend their family and to, you know, unload that firearm. And so like when I hear these situations, I can see why Kenneth Walker would have been alarmed, you know, sleeping in the middle of the night with your girlfriend and then hearing, you know, the knocks and also the commotion Mm -hmm. and then being scared in that moment. I can see why this would have startled him to shoot, right? But it's the information that got them there in the first place that to me is super conflicting. And, you know, I think now that we're hearing more and more, now that we have these updates here where, you know, we we sort of saw the writing on the wall, right? Like, you know, before we even heard from the grand jury, the family was awarded $12 million in settlement, right? And then the National Guard is deployed there in advance of the announcement of the grand jury's determination. And then the grand jury chooses to indict Officer Brett Hankinson on three counts of wanton endangerment in the first degree, Mm -hmm. not for the actual shooting and killing of Breonna Taylor, but rather instead those were the bullets administered recklessly, you know, outside of sort of the equation that could have hit the uh, the person living in the apartment nearby that happened to be a pregnant woman. The bullets that actually, unfortunately, killed Breonna Taylor were not even addressed with the charges, rather the bullets that were recklessly administered that, you know, were not tied to any loss of life. Right. And I think that's everyone's, you know, frustration. And so knowing all of those things, knowing that this was coming with the National Guard, the announcement, and, you know, I think there's an expectation here that, you know, we sort of knew that justice is something that is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Right. We could be let down in this process. It sparked a number of protests, right? Louisville, Los Angeles, 
Portland, New York. You saw so many people right from the announcement just literally shift gears to protesting and activating. It's just sad that we knew, we sort of knew and felt what was coming. And the worst part is that the person that we care about here, Breonna Taylor, still there's nothing addressed when it comes to who has to be held accountable for shooting her and killing her. Because she didn't shoot a firearm. She just was sleeping and woke up in the middle of the night and then so much happened in between. And what's crazy is that it's like, it feels like Black America, like we are suffering at the hands of the system, of the justice system being rigged, of these educational system being rigged, of the housing system. <laughs> and the crazy part is all of this comes on the anniversary, if you will, the 65th anniversary of young Emmett Till. He was killed and back in 1955 for falsely accused, mind you, of flirting with a white woman, which is a whole nother subject because that goes into the value of what white women are supposed to be even to black people, right? The fact that this young boy at 14 years old, flirting. I mean, think about that. That's like if you looked and smiled at somebody that's flirting and they murdered him terribly at the hands, again, of two white males. Wait, also, I want to take this time to say, didn't the woman just admit that she lied? Yes. Okay. Just recently. But the two men who killed him were found not guilty in Mississippi, had an all-white juror, all-white male jurors, I should say, and in 67 minutes came back with a not guilty verdict. It, it's just amazing that here we are 65 years later, and it feels like we are still in a place of just being bullied and suppressed and oppressed. But you know, part of it, doesn't it give you a little bit of, um, it's just something inside of each of us that you gotta keep fighting. We gotta keep hope. We gotta keep pushing. We gotta keep fighting for better laws. We gotta keep fighting for justice. We gotta keep fighting for a, a different system because the one that we have is working very well to keep black people oppressed. It really is. And we've gotta keep fighting to make changes. I will say this because like, I I really do think that not everyone has bad intentions, right? Yes. Cops do have a tough job to do in society. But when we have police that may not live and walk the walk of the communities that they serve, how is it that these things will stop happening? Like, and I think that's why in this time, instead of dividing, People need to come together and realize maybe I am not as well-versed to stop an interaction because I don't know the people that I'm policing. How do you fix that? And I think that goes back to like exactly what you said. Over the last generation, we still at the same place where it's, you know, in one case, it can be being falsely accused. In another case, you could get, you know, information that may not put you in the right place to do your job, Right. Like, and that to me is the hardest part. Like, it's knowing that I feel like police, they have a tough job, but also you have to understand the people you're there to protect equally. Absolutely. And to hear this story of a young woman who has tried to, you know, a number of times, you know, turn her life around. And even that's where she was listening to the New York Times, the daily podcast, like, she said, according to her friends, 2020 is my year. I feel like we all right. came into 2020 with that kind of energy. Yeah. And then for her to suffer in this regard, 
And, you know, there's even a, like, there's so many questions that need to be answered. Like you talked about the jurors when it came to Emmett Till. What does the grand jury look like? You know, is it reflective of the communities that would actually understand and advocate for a loss of life in her instance? Like, that's one question that I have. Mm -hmm. And so it, it just is really tough because we sort of knew what would come. We can't fix things overnight. But like you said, the beautiful thing is that we have to speak and call these things out because it finally applies pressure on the system for things to change. And we saw this through Brianna. Like, we saw this happening, even though it feels like the result in her case when it came to the determination is extremely disappointing. At the same time, we had the conversations that put pressure on the system. So now now we have Brianna's law that was voted unanimously that banned no-knock warrants, Right. right? So like not letting these things slide now, I think is the best thing that we can do using our platforms to help keep her name alive, you know, until we can find something that is better for her and her family. Yeah. And one of the things you brought up, I thought was really key. I just want to touch before we go into, uh, you know, a break is that solutions. I think how we start to end it is one, learning to protect each other and protect our own communities and protect our own people and stop black on black violence and really bringing those numbers down and stop killing each other. Because we need to recognize that we need to not be a part of the genocide of our own people and learn to protect each other. And that's like real talk in real communities. We have to stop fighting each other and learn to be more supportive. But at the end of the day, this is really about us bringing awareness to Breonna Taylor still, regardless of what the outcome is, to continue to say her name, to continue to keep fighting and to continue to protect Black women. We'll be right back with more. Hey, what's good, everyone? Welcome back. Hope you guys still have a piping hot cup of tea like I do. I always love tea. Lisa, do you have Perrier? I do. You know I I got my Perrier. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. I know I'm drinking lemon ginger, but yeah, I'll take a sip. Um, We've been talking about how Black women across pretty much every sector, every industry, often don't get the respect that they deserve, the protection that they deserve. And we just wrapped up like two conversations about the impact and the backlash of WAP by Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion. And then we transitioned to talking about the importance of saying her name when it comes to Rihanna Taylor and how it's so unfortunate that especially when it comes to this Black woman, her killers have not yet been brought to justice. But now we want to talk about the one and the only, I guess you say the one and only, Kamala Harris. On August 11th, Democratic candidate for President Joe Biden announced that he had chosen Senator Kamala Harris as his running mate. Lisa, she is the first Black female and also the first Indian American to be a vice presidential nominee for a major party ticket. Wherever you fall on the spectrum, we respect all opinions, but I do think that we celebrate history, especially in real time when it happens to a woman that is especially of color, a minority that has had to defy expectations every step of the way to find her success. So this is a moment for American history, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, Kamala Harris, uh, she has defied the odds. She's educated. She's received so much backlash. But before we get to the backlash, did you see her with her Chuck Taylor's on recently? 
I was like, oh. Really? Is that the LANU? The LANU is happy, huh? You know, when you were at Chuck Taylor's, you represent, you know, LA, California. So, you know, she's been going from state to state and obviously campaigning with style and class. And it's just so refreshing to hear just a person with such charisma, her ability to, you know, take on all of these tough questions and stand there in the fire. But she's so relatable. Like she she understands people. She understands all people and trying to really bring people together because that's what we need right now in this country. And so sometimes she has to even put, you know, Joe Biden, she kind of checked him a little bit like, don't say that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't say that to my people, but I got this. I just love what she brings to the table. Um, obviously her resume speaks for itself. And she, re- again, received backlash. People talking about she slept her way to the top. Nobody ever talks about men sleeping their ways to the top. You know what I mean? It's just people come after women, Black women, in a way that is just unprecedented. It's just so disrespectful. And we, other Black women, all women, we need to come to the rescue and say enough is enough. It's unacceptable. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And you have to like, why do we talk about anything else but the credentials? You have to respect her credentials. First uh, Black woman to be elected district attorney in California history. Talk about them chucks, okay? Um, First California's uh, attorney general. And you know, I'm someone with a very interesting name. And I know a lot of people are trying to figure out like what we know is Kamala, you know, like the comma, right? Kamala Harris. And, And names really matter. And I was actually reading something about her name. Her mom chose her name uh, to give homage to her Indian roots. And it means Lotus. And Lotus is uh, about a Hindu, the Hindu goddess Lakshma. It's all about the empowerment of women, which is kind of cool because my mom always tells me, be careful what you name a child, because that's what the child becomes. And, And she really, through creating her own history and being a trailblazer, has so much empowered women in this time. And that's what the story should be. Instead, we're caught up in a society that wants to talk about everything else. And it's been really unfortunate seeing, you know, I remember watching the presidential primaries and I was like, wow, so many different diverse candidates here. And Kamala was one of the first major candidates in the party to bow out. As a black woman, I was like, there's another example of like having to be twice as good as anyone else or, you know, having to literally be perfect and flawless and make people work so hard to understand you. I was like, you know, it just was really, it broke my heart to see a black woman be the first one that had to bow out. But hey, around every corner, (laughs) my dad always says, every disappointment is a blessing. One door shuts, another one opens. And, you know, it's so beautiful to see her in this situation um, that, you know, when you say she bowed out, uh, that was because she didn't have the financial backing, not because she didn't have the accolades and the the credentials, right, to to do the job. So we have another opportunity, Janae, to rally, to support, to have other Black women step up and support. But another challenge we have is our Black men. We know how important the Black vote is more than anything else. But women have been so loyal, the Black women, together. Our vote's been amazing. We need for the Black men to join us in voting and having that loyalty and that power to move the needle to make a change. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And you and I, Lisa, are part of more than a vote, right? And and one of the coolest things that I I like about this organization, especially through like athletes using their power and and also 
how we as women are using our voice differently than what is expected. A lot of people don't expect athletes to speak on such issues, but like that's the sense of urgency we have now. What I like is that the, the whole initiative is not about telling you who to vote for. It's just more so telling you the importance of voting. And, and that like, you know, it's just sort of re. I don't know. I think we're at a point where we're going to have to tell folks who to vote for today. I'm sorry. <laughs> huh? We might be at a point where we're going to have to tell folks who to vote for. <laughs> like, Are we there yet? We can't. Lisa, we can't do a point where we, we might have to be there. Are we there yet? We can't do another four years. Oh, boy. I'm just saying. Look, I like to respect people's opinions and their perspectives and points of view. But I also demand that they hear the other side. Like, Absolutely. I feel like in society so much, we are caught up on two different sides of the room. Why can't we meet in the middle and have the conversations that really matter? That's the energy I want. And then you make an informed decision. But we're so caught up in looking up from the outside and judging from the outside, which we've seen Kamala judged already in a way that it's really crazy because we talk about protecting black women, we started the conversation with the sexualization of black women and look at how that trickles to politics and, and what we saw with Rush Limbaugh and how they're making fun of Joe and the expletive. I think it's important for us to, to call people out. I think it's important for us not to be supportive of those platforms that are being disrespectful to black women, but I think it's important for all women to learn to be supportive of one another. And then sometimes, you know, you have friends that are non-black and it's like, well, what can I do to help? I mean, sometimes just even in the workplace, recognizing the credentials, stopping by and, and say what's going on with, uh, you know, Sean or Tiffany or Keisha or whomever that's not like you. Sometimes we have to learn to come out of our own space and just step out and figure out who you're who you're surrounded by, what's going on with another person. Check out, you know, I think just in ways to help support other women is that we can't just sit around. And sometimes I feel like, you know, if I see another black woman. You know, I may be like, hey, queen, how you doing today? You know, just a little speak. Sometimes people's faces are like, whoa, like that that makes them feel good. Sometimes we need to figure out how to transfer this positive energy and be supportive. You know, there's times where sometimes you, you might not even remember this, but sometimes, you know, like if we have our hair, you know, with a weave in or whatever, and, you, you know, your track is showing or something, you know, you got to be like, sis, let me hook. People I don't know. I'm like, sis, Amen. Let, me, let me let me hook you up right here. You know, like yes. we have to learn to be supportive in, in so many areas and figure out how to make this change. And then the last place is through social media, because I tell you, we come for each other like it's like crabs in a barrel. And we got to get out of that and learn to come with with love and support. Or if you see something that you're not necessarily supportive of, just keep on swiping. You don't have to sit and let everybody know that, that you know, you're not feeling her outfit or you don't like the way she looked and her man. You know, we, we need to really work on ourselves and changing and figure out how we can be more supportive of each other. You know, it's like. Hey, who, who's gonna who's gonna protect her? Who's gonna defend Kamala? We are. All right, guys, we're back. I just want to tell you, every week we do a segment called Front and Center, where we highlight a person or a story. This week, it only feels right, Lisa, that I think we both agree it should go to Breonna Taylor's mother, yes. Tamika Palmer, who is not only grieving her loss and her family's loss, but now she sort of has the added weight of being a symbol 
for this movement for justice for the Black community. So it's not like she can go through her grief privately. She's also looked to for strength in public um, because she's just represented that ongoing fight. And I even saw, you know, on social media, a lot of people were looking to see what she would say after this grand jury made their determination. Mm-hmm. And she posted a beautiful picture of Breonna Taylor, her daughter, and, you know, in the caption it said, it's still Breonna Taylor for me. Hashtag the system failed Brianna. And it and it's crazy because when you see this, mm-hmm. it, her daughter is now not just her daughter. Her daughter means so much to all of us. And that weight of, you know, carrying on her legacy, I know she feels it. So I feel like we need to send her all the best positive vibrations and strength. It, it just is a tough place to be, but she's worn it so gracefully. Well, I think you're right. I mean, she deserves the spotlight. And I just think of it, you know, being a mom and to have to experience losing a child in this way, a child who, you know, the first of many in their family to be educated, to have two jobs and just to be a hard worker and to be aware that she was a role model to her cousins and nieces and nephews. Um, Such a huge loss, um, a sad time, but we, we have to stay strong and keep persevering. So we are continuing to keep her in our prayers, their family in our prayers, and we will never stop saying her name and what it symbolizes for us all when we say Brianna Taylor is that we have to protect one another better. We have to protect Black women more and Brianna Taylor will be that symbol for all of us to recognize that um, we got to keep fighting. I can't believe it. That's already our show. But first, make sure you guys subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Right, Lisa? Yes, you guys hit us up. You can get me, Lisa, at Lisa Leslie on Twitter. And at Chanae321 on Twitter. Or you guys can send us an email. An email, yes, at frontandcenter at bluewirepods.com. Again, that's frontandcenter at bluewirepods.com. You know what that means, Lisa. It's time to say it. Bye. Bye.